certain smells are worth going to look at. Certain shapes are worth picking up because dad gets real excited when I bring it back. appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead and uh, for those listeners that may not know who you are, go ahead and introduce yourself and what it is that you do. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Jeremy Moore. Uh, we're out of Wisconsin. We've got a um, we've got a company that is a small company that we've got a couple different brands and one of the brands that we have um, is Dogbone and Dogbone is a it's a company that started out probably a little more niche than than it is right now but we were we were really we we got some traction with a product line that I developed for training dogs to find antlers and so shed hunting um, is a passion of mine it always it has been for a long time I shouldn't say it always has been because a lot of a lot of years I wanted to find an antler and couldn't um, I looked a lot um, prior to to using the dogs um, I enjoy it a thousand times more like it's it's a lot the shed hunting for me is a lot like hunting in general um i think we all evolve as time goes on but i enjoy things that i can use my dogs with and so i'm a i'm a dog guy and i i from a hunting dog standpoint to me a lot of the hunting i do is because of the dogs you know it's it's something that um without them it's just not that not as much fun for me so shed hunting is what really kind of got our, our brand started. Um, and then from there, we've, we've evolved. Like we came out with a line of tracking products for training dogs to find wounded deer. Um, it was logical following our shed dogs because a lot of the people I was training dogs for were pretty, they were really into deer hunting. And so um, it was a logical thing to have it, if you could have a dog do sheds for you in the, with you in the spring and then track for you in the fall, and so that made sense. So we kind of, we kind of got this, this, this idea of, okay, we're developing these deer dogs. And that was something that really helped grow our, our brand from, from the early inception. And then in, in, in more recent years, we've also, you know, I, I, prior to doing this with the dogs, I was a gun dog guy, big waterfaller and upland hunted a lot of upland, um, early, early on. And, um, so our, our brands, we're moving towards, you know, developing in into those areas again from a product standpoint. But there's a lot of there's so many products out there, and and a lot of them are good. And I believe in you know there are certain things that can help me do my job as a trainer uh, more effectively, maybe more efficiently. And so I I don't think there you know dog training's been around for a long time, and no one's reinventing the wheel with anything. But I but I do yeah. think we can. I do think there's always ways to improve on stuff, and I think it's. It's, it's ways to improve specifically to fit for me personally, it's I'm working towards making my life a little easier. That means that because of a certain, you know, certain styles of training, certain styles of dogs, um, there are things that it's not always a one size fits all. And so I've, we've worked really hard to create stuff that we think brings value. And then I think maybe more importantly, then the tools are, how do you use them? You know, like I, I my, my background's construction and I did construction before I did this and you could give tools, you know, you could give a, a, 
a tool belt full of tools to a, to someone and it doesn't mean they're a carpenter you know like you can't just start building stuff because you got a belt and so you got to know how to use them and one of the things that we focus on as a business is provide them with what i think are the best tools and then more importantly show them how to use it and so yeah. we've really put a ton of effort into trying to support that um the use of our stuff in that way now it makes a lot of sense you know a lot of people that get into this world they get a dog and they want to go do some kind of activity with their dog and they always kind of look for that golden you know fill in the blank whether yeah. it could be any kind of training tool training gimmick uh a method whatever they want a one-size-fits-all deal and, and kind of like what you said it there, there's just too much variables yeah. every dog's different every handler's different every situation is different so you know if you, if you don't know the actual equipment and products that you're getting and utilizing you know you can't really put it to uh to train the dog in the best way right sure, or, sure. or at least how it was designed for um but let's go ahead, you know, this is a hunting dog podcast. I'm sure most people listening to this, they know what a shed antler is. Sure. But we also get a lot of new people listening. So maybe they don't know what a shed antler is. Maybe they've never hunted deer. Maybe yeah. they don't have any interest. But uh, real quick, you know, just talk to us. Why did you fall in love with shed hunting? What is shed hunting and what what, what spoke to you about it so much? Yeah, so so deer, deer you know, there's they grow antlers. So it's fastest growing it's the fastest growing like thing out there in, in nature. Like it's fat, it's faster growing than tumors. Like it's the, it's the fastest growing thing. It's renewable. It does the, these, you know, bucks grow antlers every year and they shed them. And, it, and when you think about it, it's, some of them are growing like, you know, 180 inches, 200 inches in a season. And the season is really short. So there's this process that takes place. They grow, um, they harden, they use them through for multiple reasons throughout the fall and then all of a sudden their bodies change the testosterone levels change and, and drop off they're no longer breeding i mean a deer's life is pretty simple breed like pass your genetics and stay yeah. alive that's about it and so when they when they get past the point of using them as a tool as a utilitarian thing their body has to conserve energy to get through the winter so they no longer are producing these hormones and testosterone, they literally don't, it, it takes energy to hold the antlers. I mean, some of these antlers are pretty heavy too. It takes away from their body. And so they cast them and they cast them off and then they regrow them the following. I mean, they almost start growing like they're not growing now, but it won't be long. And all of a sudden we'll start to see these at, at the pedicle, at the base, you'll start to see these little bumps. And then, I mean, it's amazing. We run, you know, I'm a, so I'm a big deer hunter. I, I'm, really passionate about deer and from wisconsin and a lot of people in wisconsin are but it's been something we were raised with well i was raised with it more of like a you know venison like it was to fill our freezers now it's not necessarily just about that but it's a, that's a big part of it but the deer part for me has evolved over the years where i used to shoot every deer i saw like growing up i was a killer i mean i just i wanted to shoot shoot them all and and I was kind of raised that way. Like we did shoot a lot of deer and, and we did eat a lot of deer. And now it's like, I've gotten to this point where I'm, I enjoy my kids doing that part of it as much as I did when I was their age. And I personally am, you know, I, 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 go, I went through this phase where I was into really big deer you know, I wanted to kill the biggest ones. I always wanted to kill the, the old, you know, the biggest bucks. Now I like shooting old ones and they're not always the, the biggest necessarily. But so as a hunter, I've evolved through these phases of hunting. And I think most do 
from a shed hunting standpoint, like it's not to me, deer hunting for, to me is not just about shooting a deer anymore. Like I, I actually enjoy managing deer and trying to, ma- I, I sh- trying to manage deer. Managing deer is pretty easy. Managing people, that's where the challenge is, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. but like, but like you, you really, we, we hunt on land where we try to manipulate the land and create habitat and do all these things to improve it. We, we pass on certain young deer with the hopes that they grow bigger the next year. It's like this whole, it's this much bigger, more complex thing for me now. Well, shed hunting fills in a lot of the voids from a year round standpoint. Like it does a few things for me. It gives me something to do in the spring. Like I'm cooped up in the winter, man. It's pretty cold up here and there's a lot of snow and like, I would love to, I mean, we go sit on ice and fish. Like that's what we do in the winter. So I look forward to the time of year to be able to get out, walk, stretch my legs. I enjoy, it's part of why I love Upland is because it's great exercise for me. I get in the best shape of my my entire year in October. And it's because I grouse hunt and I hunt woodcock. And so in the spring, I put a, I wear a lot of boots out. I mean, we 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 put a lot of miles on. And we cover ground and you find these, I mean, it's like a big Easter egg hunt for adults basically. And you find these antlers and what, from a deer hunter's perspective, it really helps me complete the circle a little bit because, you know, we look at trail cam, I run trail cameras year round and we look at these pictures and I, we, we, we think we know what these deer are and when we can actually pick the antlers up and measure them, like, oh, you know how many times the guys have told me, you know, I got a 150 inch buck on camera. And the next year they found this, found the sheds off of it. Well, they're like 50 inch sheds. Well, it's not 150 inch deer, you know, and, but, but we, so we're looking at it and we're going, we really can, can actually tangibly hold them and look at them and go, yeah, it's exactly what I thought. Or, oh, it's a lot bigger than I thought, or it's not quite as big as I thought. We, I, I look around my living room and I'm, we've got these deer on the wall and I go, Back in the day, I used to dream about like shooting a deer that I had the sheds off of. Now, most of the deer we could kill, we've got a year or two or three years of sheds from them. And when you start getting into it, I, you know, it's it's a lot like training dogs. Like on on the surface, it's pretty simple. I mean, t- training dogs is simple. Shooting deer is simple. Like you you get in a spot where they are, you shoot them. But you can you can get into layers of complexity in anything we do. Like being a carpenter is simple. You build stuff, but go on a job site for a day and follow a carpenter around and realize how many little things that you got to pick up on and understand. And you, you don't get that without experience. And so shed hunting is a part of deer hunting to me that brings a lot of benefit from a deer, from a deer hunting perspective. I go in, I go in areas in the, in the spring that I never go in any other time of the year because I don't want to pressure deer. Like I, I think it pressure is really important to keep off of deer if you want them to live on your property. And so, but I'll go in there in the spring because they're not there. They're not living there. Um, it, there there's, it's, it's not like I'm trying to hunt them next week. So yeah. It's, it's a thing that it's part of, so that's like the shed aspect of it. And it, you know, shed hunting has really grown in popularity. Um, when I first started doing it, like I could knock on doors, I would literally drive around and look for standing crops and I'd look for trails that would cross in the, you know, the road in the winter. And I'd be like, okay, I got to get permission on that piece because there's a cow path going in there of tracks, you know, there's standing corn or there's beans or whatever. I know there's going to be sheds there in the spring. And so I would 
try to get permission. And most farmers loved it because they would get them in their tractor tires. They hated, they didn't like antlers because, you know, they're, they're $500 tires every time they hit one. Yeah. So the, it was a lot of times we'd knock on doors and people would, what do you mean? You know, you're going to go look for those things? Yeah, we, totally. <laughs> now you knock on the doors and like, you're lucky to get on maybe one out of five places yeah. because yeah, our nephew shed hunts or our son does or whatever. And that's okay. I mean, I, I, I think it's fine. I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's it's something that like to some people compete. Like from a dog standpoint, there's competitions. And I'm not a competition yeah. guy with any of my dogs. I'm a, hunt, I'm a hunter. My dogs are hunting dogs. Um, but I think it's great because it's giving us another thing to do with our dogs from a from a training perspective from a purpose perspective i think they all need jobs i think the more we can do with them the better our relationship is with them yeah. um i would agree 100 percent with pretty much everything you said i mean everything from i mean when i first got in the outdoors you know i don't know it, 15 20 years ago whenever that was you never really heard anything about shed hunting. You know, it was something that you might just stumble upon if you're out walking enough and you're, oh, cool, I found a shed. Sure. But to your point now, it's like you have people that, I mean, they go full on shed hunting. Like, you, you know, that's, totally. that's what they live for. They train their dogs, they compete, like you said. Uh, but I'm with you in terms of, I enjoy it just because, especially those bird dog guys, once hunting season's over and spring hits, you know, you kind of have this little lull before summer yeah. and try, you know, get, trying to get, dressed up for testing season hunting season all over again and if you're not a turkey hunter it's like well what do i do right and right. this is just something to get out with your dog and it's a lot of fun and so you know i've i've collected some good sheds over the years but i've never really targeted them especially sure. with my dogs you know it's it's really more or less my dogs are uh uh force fetch so it's like if i see one way off in the distance you know i'll just send them in and grab it it's not quote unquote shed hunting though. And sure. so that's why I wanted to get you on is kind of break this down because I know a lot of people that listen to this, my friends included, myself included, it is something that they would like to do. It gives them yeah. something to get off the couch and go do in the spring. So I wanted to get, get a little bit more breakdown in terms of what a shed dog actually does, what a finished product look like, sure. looks like, and then backtrack from there and kind of give us the foundational uh, tools to set our dogs up to maybe go out and find a few sheds this spring. Sure. So it start start with the finished product. You yeah. Know, what so does a finished shed dog look like? So I think you know that's that's a that's a really good question, uh, and I don't know that I have the answer. I, I I look at it and I go, what does a finished retriever look like? It's different to every person, you know. And so yeah. for me, I, I can tell you what what it looks like to me. Um, and then I can probably tell you what a lot of people probably think. And I think that, yeah. and I think that that's where we get into trouble. Like, I think, um, people have to have understandings that, um, no different than a gun dog or an upland dog. They're not robotic. These dogs aren't robots. They're, they're, you know, tracking dogs are not robots. Like they're, they're hand, there's a definite relationship between the handler and the dog. And so, and when, when you get both of the parties working together, it's like watching a dance, you know, like I'm, I'm in, I'm from this little town called Pulaski. It's the polka capital of the Midwest, man. Like we have the biggest polka festival in the Midwest. So, uh, I go to, I go to polka days. It's called, it's a three day event. Like I love it. And so we, I'm not a polka, like I don't polka. I mean, I do really, really late on Saturday night. I really get good, but, uh, 
I I watch it and I do enjoy it and I love the music part of it and I'll do dance a little bit but not much. But I watch people do it and you can tell people you can I mean it's very clear to watch when two people know what the other person's going to do and they dance together uh it can be pretty impressive. When two people go out there that don't know how what they're doing very well <laughs> or don't know each other very well like that can get a little bit clumsy and a little bit awkward. Well, I think the same is true with the dog that's working with the handler. And so for me, what does a shed dog look like? Well, I, I, I like a dog that goes out and quarters and casts for me. Now, the same dogs that I'm going to use to shed hunt with, I'm going to be in the fall, in September, October, and November, I'm going to be in the uplands with. So me, I don't want a dog working out a gun range because I don't like, I don't think it's fair to have two sets of rules for dogs. Like, I don't think it's, hey, today we're doing this and tomorrow we're going to do that and expect them to be able to just like, oh yeah, we'll just, we'll change the way we do things. I'm a big believer in consistency. So I, when it comes to getting good results with dogs. So I like dogs to work within gun range. I, to me, gun range is you know, 25 yards and in, I'm in pretty thick cover, you know, I didn't ask you this, but I'm assuming by all this, you're, you're hunting uplands with your flushing dogs, your labs yep, and stuff yep. like that. Am I correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. And you I, work any other breed besides retrievers? Well, and I just, I, it's funny. I've got my 13 week old setter behind me right now. So I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've not, I've not owned anything outside of retrievers prior to this dog. So I've got this dog because I do so much grouse hunting. I got a cabin up in Northern Wisconsin. And the last few years, we've really gone back to doing that a lot more. I used to do it when I was younger. Started doing it a lot more in the last few years. Really enjoy it. Uh, I'm getting old is what it amounts to. There's certain things that I enjoy different these days. And that's one of them. And so this setter pup is going to make me a better dog trainer. I'm, I'm not going to train her much different, I don't think, than my... I'm writing... I write for, so I write for Gundog Magazine, and I do a column for the last four years. This is the fourth year uh, on... I've always done something about retrievers, something with my flushing dogs, and, and my primary focus is Labradors. That's what I've owned for the last... I got my first one in 99, um, and I've had lots of them since, and I've trained lots of them for clients since, but... Prior to that, I had golden retrievers. So I, I'm a retriever guy. It's just, that's, that's yeah. been with me forever. And the, this setter is going to make me better. And I've had a lot of people tell me how, and I've studied, I mean, I'm, I'm writing, I'm actually writing a column for Gundog this year. Um, two out of the six articles have been submitted now. It's documenting how I'm going to train a setter because I don't know how to train a pointy dog. So I'm going to, because I've never done it. And so I'm going to share my experience with it because I think it could be valuable. I don't write, I don't write for Gundog to help professional trainers be better trainers. I write for Gundog to help people like me who are training their own dog. And that's why I love the name of your podcast. That's why I think it, we talked a little bit before. And I'm like, I just think it's a fit because I'm probably more relatable to most of your listeners just simply because I'm not a kennel. Like I don't train, yeah. I don't have a, I don't, every dog I, now I train dogs for clients and we breed a little bit and we, but it's all very, very micro and very specific. And I train each one of them like I would my own personal dog. So like I'm, I've got a litter of puppies in my mudroom right now, right behind me. I've got my setter puppy right here. I've got one of my, my nine-year-old Labrador right there. And I've got my four-year-old Labrador right there. And 
these two pups in the back. One of them is going to, the guy I work with here is, is keeping one. So I'm going to be doing a training series with it. And I'm keeping the other one back to train myself. My son, who's 20, he's got the, uh, he's got a one-year-old that we bred last year. So he's kept that one. I'm, so I'm, when I train a dog for someone, I'm training it like it was my own. And so I, I have a different schedule than a professional dog trainer. Like yeah. I have a different routine than the guy that's got to work 36 dogs a day. I have the same routine that probably most of your listeners are listening to. I'm, I'm the guy too, that has soccer practice and volleyball and this kid and that kid and this and that, and the business is down the road and I got to do this. And so where do we fit in our dog training? You know, my shed season's coming up. Like I'm going to be shed hunting in the next 30 days. And so I've got 20 acres here and I've got set up pretty good like i maximize just about every square inch of this property and it's a combination of deer stuff because i, I it's my life it's also a common you know i raise 500 pheasants a year and let them go and so that's part of my life we've got ducks in the fall we've got a pen with birds i don't keep i don't i'm not a i'm not like uh i do everything on a real micro level because i it's just the right amount for me to do for the dogs i'm training it's really like most people that train their own dogs do it, you know? So, 100%. so for the shed dog part of it, I like dogs that quarter and cast cover, you know, cover some ground because as I'm working through, I'm, I'm covering ground too. I mean, I don't, I don't sit in the truck. I think some people think I sit in the truck, drink coffee and let the dog fill the back. <laughs> I wish it were that way. It's not. I walk way more miles with the dog than I ever did without. That's part of why I find more sheds. Like, if you do something, I do it more often. I'll shed hunt more often once I have a shed dog than I did before. But I also grouse hunt. I, I wouldn't grouse hunt. If you, went, if you saw where I grouse hunt, if you've ever hunted in northern Wisconsin, you'll know I would not walk through that shit if I didn't have a dog with me. Like, I'm doing it for the dogs half the time because I go, I love to see those dogs do what they do best in those scenarios and if you asked me to go walk and try to flush woodcock and shoot one i'd say i'm not wasting my time it's i don't like the birds that much like i love grouse i love grouse dogs a lot more so i wouldn't put myself through it same shed hunting yeah i'd shed hunt i'd walk the i'd probably do it off of a four-wheeler if i didn't have a dog i'd be on a four-wheeler i'd run the edges of the trails i'd hit the fields I'd pick up a, I pick up antlers, but I, I go way deeper. I get more into it. I put more miles on. I get in much better shape. I do it more often because I have the dog. So, yep. but I like that dog that quarters within gun range. I need a dog that will use his nose and use his eyes. Like I, I don't want a dog that's exclusive one way or the other. And you can't like they're not, this is natural to dogs. They, they use their nose. I think like I use my eyes. So but I also realize what their capabilities are and they can't smell an antler unless they're downwind of it. Well, I need them to understand if they see the antler, go pick it up too. So I also don't, you know, I, people, people talk a lot about range and, and a lot of people, when I tell them that my dogs work within 25 yards, they go, well, I don't want that. I want a big ranging dog. And I go, okay, I challenge you next time you're in the woods shed hunting, just stop at any random point and spin around 360 degrees and tell me if you can see any further than 25 yards. If there were an antler lane within 25 yards of you in any direction, would you be able to spot it? Because half the time you can't, you're going to have to literally step on them to see them. So 
I mean, we're not talking about hunting alfalfa, you know, cut hay fields. Stevie Wonder can find sheds in those. Like, the, you don't need the dog to cover an alfalfa field. You need them where it's real thick cover, where they're spending a great majority of their time from a bedding perspective. So that's where I want, I want those dogs for that kind of stuff. What we actually call wildlife cover. Habitat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's where they're at. You know, a food plot is not habitat. A food plot, sure. yeah, it may feed some animals, but it's not quote unquote habitat. So when you say that they're smelling, what exactly are they smelling in the shed? Because, you know, most people, is it's essentially uh, dry bone, sure. essentially. You know, sure. I, I know when they first drop, there's a little waxy substance at the end. Is that what they're smelling? Or is it something completely different? So think about it this way. If you've got a cadaver dog, dog that finds dead people, right? So if you got a cadaver dog and someone dies in the woods or is buried, you know, something happened and somebody buried somebody. Okay, so they put them in, they bury this body. For the first week, it's going to smell like something. A month later, it's going to smell like something probably a little different. A year later, it's going to smell like something different than that. 10 years later, it's going to smell different than something like that. A cadaver dog is going to find it next week or 10 years from now because the dog is going to understand that as this thing decomposes and breaks down, it just changes. But there's scent clues there that the dogs are going to be exposed to and understand that that's the target. That's the goal. So I look at, so that's a pretty dramatic, you know, for, for people that are listening, you go, well, yeah, obviously it's a, it's a person, it's a body, it's decomposing, it's going to have a ton of scent. Yes, it will. But the body that's laid for 10 years, it's completely broken down and all that's left is bone. That has scent to it too. The bone that sits in the desert and gets real dry and cracked and brittle, it has scent to it too. They're cal- it's calcium. It's salt. It's made of... Act- it's- when, when my wife makes vegetable soup and my dogs come in here, they don't smell vegetable soup. I do, but they don't. They smell... The peas, the vegetables, the carrots, the salt, the pepper, the water, whatever. If, if you take water from my tap, it smells different than water from the tap down the road. Like all of those have different scents to the dog. And the dog processes that very quickly and understands all those different elements. So when it comes to an antler, here's an antler. Well, this one fell off yesterday. It's got this scent on it. This one fell off a month ago. That one fell off three years ago. They all have some of the same scents and then they all have some that are unique. You know, the the scent that the shed that lays in the woods and the coyote comes up or the fox comes up to it and smells it and chews on it because I mean, that's like nature's chew toy. Like it's calcium, it's rich. They, they, they get value out of it. You, I find antlers that are chewed in the woods that they, they, everything chews on them. It's, I mean, mice, I mice and squirrels make a living on them. I was about to say squirrels go, go crazy for them. Absolutely. So all of those contacts add a layer of scent to it. The coyotes and the fox mark them a lot of times. Like it's a dominance thing. It's a canine thing. So they'll pee on them. So that urine has a lot of scent to it. Now that urine wasn't on before, but what was on before? Well, that deer's gland, glandular scent from his forehead. The pedicle and base has this. A lot of times I find these fresh sheds and they have almost this green it almost looks like snot a little bit. Like yeah. it, it's got scent to it. I don't know what that, it's like a mucus almost. It, I think it's something from the separation of the membrane. Um, they rub on, you know, I find sheds that have cedar sh- ground into them, pine ground into them from rubbing and from them doing different things throughout the year, mud caked into them, all sorts of scents that are associated with that antler. And a lot of people will go, well, antlers don't have that much scent. 
And I tell people, well, take your antlers, fresh antlers especially, take your antlers and put them in a Tupperware tote and put a lid on it and close it up. And then set it in the front seat of your truck on a sunny day and it'll heat up and get nice and warm and take the lid off and take a whiff of it. It'll just about knock you over. Like it stinks. It's real. But the reason we can smell it in that situation is because it's concentrated. It's a lot of active scent things in a sealed container and it's heated up. And so we can smell it. Well, we can't smell anything compared to our dogs. But if we can smell that, now just dissect that, dilute that way down and realize, yeah, I might not be able to smell it, but I know my dogs can. And so there is a lot of scent involved with it. It's just that having them understand that this is like, like a good shed, a good a good shed dog to me is is kind of like a tracking dog. They're they're problem solvers. They they take pieces of a puzzle and they try to put the thing together. So what I want a dog to do, and I do this, you know, this is how we get him to to start having this click, is the idea of in our training we associate. My dogs are really driven by retrieve. Like a retrieve is a big reward for my dogs. They're, it's their last name, Labrador Retriever. So they've been bred to do it. I associate the idea of Certain smells are worth going to look at. Certain shapes are worth picking up because dad gets real excited when I bring it back. Like my dogs don't get, you know, I, I think people think that bird dogs retrieve birds because they like birds. We did a, we have a TikTok page and I did this seminar and they took, the guys took this little clip out of a seminar that I did and they made a TikTok video and it got a lot of, it got a lot of interesting feedback and it got some, you know, how guys are with dogs and, uh, a lot of ego out there. And so I, so it's a 30 second TikTok. First off, you have to take things within context, right? So it's a good lesson for all of us. Don't, don't be that guy on TikTok that makes the comment. But anyway, so I got a lot of people made these comments and cause my, my little TikTok video said it was 30 seconds out of a one hour long video. And it said, I said, duck dogs don't retrieve ducks cause they like ducks. Duck dogs retrieve ducks cause they like to retrieve. I can throw a stick in the same spot in the shittiest conditions and my dog will run out and pick it up and bring it back the same as he will a duck. It's not because he likes sticks. It's because he likes to retrieve. We associate certain things to equal retrieve. And I caught all kinds of hell because my duck dog is a duck dog. Blah, blah. Well, fine. I, you know, I don't mean to hurt people's feelings. But I, so I look at sheds very similar to the idea of shed dogs pick up antlers because antlers equal retrieve to them. And that's a big reward. And so what I want them to do is understand certain shapes are that reward. I don't want them picking up pop bottles. I mean, yeah. in the, you know, you could train a dog to go and pick up pop bottles, empty pop bottles. And in, the, and in the spring of the year, my road would be a great place to go because when the snow melts, it's full of them. But, yeah. but, but you think about, you know, canine units and guys that, are, guys that are training these dogs to find drugs and explosives and all these different things. We're, why are we why are we using some of the dogs that we're using? Some of them are very intelligent, very trainable, great noses, natural game finding ability is built into these dogs for hundreds and hundreds of years. And we as humans have kind of like shifted them to fit our little niche things that we want them to do. Well, that's all I'm. That's all we're doing here with a shed dog is we're getting the dog to understand certain stuff is worth picking up and bringing back to dad. Yeah, we're using their natural drives and talents and trying to direct it, mm-hmm. essentially. You know, yeah. going back to those the, those work dogs, the canine dogs, heck, most of their drive, their reward, that we like to call it, 
is this a ball, right? Sure. Is this sure. just a little play ball? Uh, right. You know, and uh, I mean, back to your point on the retrieving drive, you know, I've, I've got German dogs. I've got a small monster lander. I went uh, quail hunting a few weeks back, and she brings me a freaking possum. Sure. Now, is sure. she called a possum dog? Does right. she love possums? No, she just found game. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to bring it back to dad. Totally. <laughs> totally. And especially a German dog because hair, yeah. I mean, fur, feathers, it doesn't matter. Like, the, look at what you they've know. done with those dogs for years, right? Exactly. So how do we go about, you know, I'm at square one. I get this dog that, you know, talks to me like I'm, I'm asking you a bunch of questions on, you know, if you'll train my dog or something. Yeah. I got this brand new dog, hasn't been taught anything except for maybe some basic obedience, potty training, whatever. And I want to, I want to teach it to shed hunt. What are the foundations? What, what do I have? What does a dog absolutely have to know? Like we're not talking about a competition level shed dog. I just want something that I can go out in the springtime with my dog, have some fun and hopefully come away with a few sheds. Yeah. I, competition or no competition. I don't see it any different. Like a hunting dog is a hunting dog to me. And so without, and that's a great question because it's it's maybe going to be a boring answer for some people and they're going to be like oh god this again you can't you can't build a building without a good foundation like I, that's construction talk right you can't you can't build something without something solid underneath it because it will fall down the same is true with a dog regardless of what you're training them to do so if you the dog you described that new dog fresh dog you nailed it. Potty training is what I do first because I don't like pooping and peeing in my house. But from yeah. there, we start to build on other things as far as foundation. The reason you have to have that is because when I go out in the field and I start doing some some more specific drills that are going to be developing and shaping some of the habits and behaviors that I want a shed dog to do, quartering and casting, picking stuff up for me, retrieving it, delivering it to hand. I mean, simplify a shed dog. They quarter and they cast, they use their nose, they use their eyes, they find something, they pick it up, they bring it back. Like that, real simple, right? So in order to do that, I, I take a very similar approach. I mean, think about what a duck dog does. What does a duck dog do? Sits quiet, patiently and steady, watches the skies. When birds go down, they run out or swim out, bring them back. Like that's simple. Like why, why, don't, why aren't we, I mean, that's so simple. But we all know that there's a lot of complication in there. The steadiness doesn't come very naturally. The idea of delivery to hand doesn't always come very naturally. The idea of getting to the duck blind doesn't happen naturally unless you have a dog that's relatively obedient and well-disciplined. You can't have a dog steady if they're not disciplined. Everything from a thousand foot elevation looks simple. Until you get right down in there and you lose sight of the forest through the trees, that's when it gets complicated and it's like, okay, Right. There's a lot more to it. You know, end goal of mine is, oh, I thought this was going to be simple, but there's a lot of steps. Right. So, you know, it talks to me like, you know, what are the tools that we need to have ready before we start, quote unquote, shed training? Yeah. He'll sit, stay, come when I call you. Like those, the, the exact same. So the beauty of this is yeah. it's the exact same foundation if I'm going to develop a gun dog, if I'm going to develop an upland dog, I, you know, I'm training a pointing dog that's laying here behind me and I'm going, what do I need to train this dog? Well, first off, I'm not going to train her to point. (laughs) I don't, that's, she does it. I don't train retrievers to retrieve. They do it. 
what I do is I get them to do it how I want them to do. I help to shape and manipulate it and hone it more specifically. But what do I? What am I going to do with this little setter? She's laying on her bed right now, very nicely, quietly. We just did a podcast specifically about talking about place training. Now, different place training than handling and, and that kind of stuff. But like, just lay on your bed, be quiet. And be patient. Like I'm, it's a cultural thing. I turn and I look at each one of my dogs. That's what they've been doing all evening. In order for me to enjoy this setter this fall, I'm going to want her to be able to point birds. I'm going to want her to make some retrieves. I'm going to want her to do some hunting dog stuff. In order for me to enjoy her between now and then, during that window of time, which is relatively short, the two to three month window where I get to hunt her, and then beyond that until the following fall, what am I going to do? I'm going to want to take her camping. I'm going to want to take her to the kids' softball games. I'm going to want to have her in my living room. I'm going to have to, I'm going to want, I'm going to have friends that come over with little kids. I'm going to have all these things that this dog is going to see and she's going to have to behave. I'm going to, my wife wants to take her for walks. So she's going to have to be able to walk well on, on lead and off. So that foundation, he'll sit, stay, come when I call you. Simple. There's only four things there. And I always tell people that because it's not an awful lot, but it's got to be damn good. And in order for that to happen, in order for me to do the hunting dog stuff, I can't do it without that stuff. I also can't enjoy the dog the way I think a dog should be enjoyed because she's not a four-wheeler that I park in the shed when the season's done. She's yeah. with me all the time. So a really well, good – go ahead. Real quick, I'm going to add something. You said sit here, he'll stay. Uh, but a lot of that that you're talking about is ultimately socialization. Totally. So it's basic obedience and socialization. The same thing that we preach about, no matter if you're developing a versatile Navda dog, a retriever dog, any dog, right. really, it comes back to obedience and socialization. So it's really no different. What Whatever you're wanting to do, you still have to have the foundation as a, as a companion and an all-around dog first. Right. I mean, I don't want to get too deep on you, but like, look at this. Like, You're raising a one-year-old. You got a little daughter, right? I've got a th- I've got a three year old daughter. I've got a twelve year old daughter, and I've got a twenty year old son. I've learned a lot from the twenty year old son to the twelve year old daughter, and I'm learning a lot more from the twelve year old daughter to the three year old. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, yeah, I don't think I made a lot of mistakes necessarily with one or the other, but I am approaching it differently with each one, partially because of the different point in my life. But one thing that is true, whether it's my 20-year-old, my 12-year-old, or my 3-year-old, and it will be for my grandkids, and it will be for my hopefully great-grandkids, like one thing that is really true throughout the ages, it never goes away, is in order to have them be successful and productive in society, they got to be good people. So if I want to create, if I want to create a kid that's going to be a basketball player, like he's going to be a very good basketball player, collegiate or professional basketball player. You know what the best way for him to get that? Now, he's going to need a lot of skills and talent and all, and it's going to take a hell of a lot of work and all this stuff. But he's going to have to be a pretty good person because if he isn't, he'll be in jail. Like, he'll, he'll get, he'll get, if he runs in the wrong group, he's going to get into trouble and all of a sudden he's in, he's not in position to become a professional basketball player anymore. Yeah. Got to have a good, like, our life has to have a good foundation. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I can't quote Bibles or anything, but like I have a long, I have a strong faith. And I think faith is really important to get us where we want to go in life. Like I just really believe that. That comes, that's pretty simplistic. And it comes with a very simple base of make good decisions, be a good person, do good things to those around you. Like I think that's all karma stuff. 
the dog is the same way. Like, make good decisions. Don't be an asshole. Don't get into shit. Like, be be a good and but we have to help them understand what those good decisions are. So that that base that basic stuff has to be there. More specifically, like, so I like a drill. I, I we 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 do memories. I, I work a lot of memory work. This is more talking technical dog stuff. I do a lot of memory work. I do a lot of memory work for lots of reasons with all my dogs. I think it creates steady dogs. I think it creates dogs that are patient. I think it creates with a shed dog specifically. It teaches a dog to start understanding that the things aren't always thrown that I'm picking up. Because yeah. one of the things that people make mistakes with is, so we have a training, we have a, this training antler that I use. And the reason I use it is because I introduced a young dog to a hard antler before I had this, before I developed this. I threw an antler for a young dog. She was about six months old. She was pretty energetic. She had a lot of go. She ran up, she poked herself, and she was afraid of antlers. I bought her to be a shed dog, and she hated antlers at six months old. I knew I had a problem. I thought about it, and I went, well, I don't introduce pheasant dogs to pheasants by putting them in a pen with a rooster and hoping they turn out. It won't work. There's too many uncontrolled things, and you're going to have a negative, and I'm going to have a dog that's afraid of it. So I introduced dogs to get them to birds. I start with a balled-up sock. I went to a canvas bumper, I, you know, a tennis ball. I tied feathers to a, a dummy. I took incremental steps to get them to the bird. I started taking incremental steps to get a shed dog to an antler. So I use this thing that looks like an antler, but it's kind of soft and flexible, and it's not going to poke or jab the pup, and, but, and I'm going to be able to add some scent to it, make it smell like an antler. I'll take steps to get them there. But I started with this puppy, and I threw this hard antler, and she was afraid of it. So I look at the idea of a lot of people throw stuff for their retrievers. And it's natural. It's predator-prey. It's ingrained in them. They see stuff. They drops. They run. They get it. They bring it back. The problem is, is they do that with antlers. They do that with our training dummy. They do it with the antlers. They're all good with that. And then they take them shed hunting and the dogs work through and they go right over the top of antlers and they go, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. You trained the dog to chase stuff down that you threw. Yeah. You have to teach the dog to understand to pick stuff up off the ground. Yes. And so well, I, I talk about this all the time in our world. We talk a lot in Abda and specifically duck search. And I've helped a few people come over the nab to duck search challenge where the dog has to independently go search for a duck that they've never seen thrown flying or anything like sure. that. If you're not familiar with it and I'll go, I'll just go watch, you know, I'll go out there with them to, to a pond or something. And I just watch what they do first because you know, I'm, I'm not a pro trainer or anything, but I can't really give you my advice until I know what, sure. what it is that you're doing. And you'd be, well, you probably wouldn't be shocked at how many times you go there and they just stand on the edge of the bank, throwing bumper after bumper after bumper. Sure. And it's like your dog will go get it till it drops dead after 5,000 of those reps. But then you wonder why when you line it up and try to send it, the dog doesn't want to go anywhere because it's used to that bumper landing 15 yards in front of them. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I mean, you get, you get the same thing with, you know, we get dogs that hit these imaginary distance breakers you know like they can only run out 35 yards 40 yards and they hit a wall and they break down and they hunt short and they, they, so they been throwing it <laughs> yeah i say show me how far you can throw a dummy because that's as far as the dog knows to hunt so we start so i use memories that's another reason i use a memory i extend i can extend the distance i can walk a mile back and send the dog i can't throw a mile forward so but what i get is i get this separation of time and i think timing is timing is a critical part of training but it's also important from a memory standpoint for dogs to understand short-term and long-term memory. I, our retrievers have to remember stuff. They have to remember marks from 
things prior to. If, they, if we shoot two birds and I send them on one, I want them to have some recollection of the second bird to be able to at least take an initial line. If I have to handle them, I handle them. But, and, and I don't trial. So like those, it's really important for them because they're doing three, four, five marks at a time. And so, but I look at this idea of long-term and short-term memory. And I believe really heavily in that these dogs have the ability to process them both differently. The short-term memory is really important because from a training perspective, we have to take it into consideration. Like our timing for praise and our timing for correction has to be less than that window or they don't know what it's for. So if you, if you correct them for something that they did three or four seconds ago, they think you're correcting them for whatever they did right before you corrected them, not what they did three or four seconds ago, which is what you meant to be. So you miss it, you know? And so I think timing is something that becomes reflect. It's, it's a, it's a reflex. It needs to become a reflex for a handler. You don't get that by like, you want to see me look silly, have me do something that I don't, haven't done for a long time or I've never done before and go, man, is he uncoordinated? Well, it's because I'm not, it's because I'm not used to it, but let me, let me practice it a little bit. Let me get a little cadence. Let me get a little rhythm. Let me get a little understanding of all the things that are going to follow once I do this, this, and this, so I can start anticipating it a little bit. And you'll watch people develop skill quickly in front of you. Same is true with a dog. Like we do handlers workshops where people bring their dogs and we don't train the dogs so much as we do the trainers. But in three days we work with people. And I think the biggest takeaway they take from that is an understanding of timing and an understanding that they suck at it (laughs) and they need to get better. And so what they'll end up doing is by the end, I'll start seeing people do something with their dog and then they, oh, they smile or they, oh, I see them react and I go, you knew it, you missed it, you knew it, but you at least you recognized it. Because when you first came here, you didn't even recognize it. Now you recognize it, but you're just too late. So now what you're going to do is start doing it enough where you recognize what to look for first and then anticipate and then respond. And then all of a sudden the dog will start to, it'll make sense to the dog. So I look at a memory and I go, it's valuable for a lot of things, but what it's really important is it allows dogs to understand pick up something on the ground, not necessarily something being thrown or movement or running. Because antlers, you know, you're not going to watch a buck run in front of you and shed its antlers. I saw it once on YouTube. You're just not going to see it. So you you got to understand that this is a search thing. Go out and look. And when I find it, bingo, light bulb, pick it up and watch dad get excited. So, but to do a tri- to do a memory, what do you need to do? Well, I got to be able to walk out a distance, drop a dummy or th- or pitch a dummy, turn around, tell them no, turn around, walk them back, turn back around, line them back up, be a little bit patient, line them out and send them. Well, that that what I just described, if you can't heal well, you can't do that drill. If your dog isn't steady, you can't do that drill. If your dog doesn't have the focus and the attention span to put these three or four steps and be able to like process and link those all three together. If your dog can't line, you can't do this drill. So you need all those foundational things in order to piece this drill together. And when you first start piecing this drill together, don't do it at 35, 40, 50, 60 yards, do it at three or four steps, turn around send the dog short and build off of that. So it's this baby step increment, incremental mindset, but without, you can't turn a, a, a memory drill into a healing lesson 
because you'll get nothing out of it from a memory standpoint. And you maybe you probably won't get shit out of it from a healing standpoint either because you're gonna be muddying the waters with three or four other things that get in the way. So you're gonna end yeah. up you're gonna end up frustrated at the end of a session. And then your frustration will transfer down the lead. The dog will say, I'm 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 done. I'm sorry. I apologize. I just don't want to make more mistakes. A lot of times guys get pissed about that and then they start putting more pressure on and all of a sudden we've got a completely dissolved session. Yeah. Well, it's the wrong we're going the wrong direction with it for sure well and i mean uh, so all of this i agree wholeheartedly with all of this because i mean it's like you start, said at the start of this dog training is dog training nobody's reinventing the wheel here yeah. so you know everything from the timing and the and the drive like you essentially yeah our target is shed is completely different than, than birds uh but ultimately it's the same thing dog training is dog training totally uh, so so let's get into uh, here for a little bit some actual specific shed dog stuff. You know, sure. let's start let's start with the gear. You know, let's start with you. You mentioned your uh, the dummy that you you developed. Start with that, and and I'm I'm assuming some scent is required. Yep. To walk me through what Jeremy's must have list of gear to train a shed dog effectively. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Um, I think, you know, I in my bag right now, if I'm working a shed dog, I've got a training dummy or two. Um, I've got some tennis balls. I've got some scent. I use, I make a liquid antler scent. We sell it with our, our antlers. We sell like a kit, a training booklet, a training dummy, and a scent. And then we sell the dummies by themselves because just like anyone else, I need multiple dummies. And we sell the scent by itself and all that. But... A tennis ball and that liquid scent was really a nice little training tool. Like I love tennis balls for all my training. And and it's because I think a tennis ball is a really valuable thing for most dogs. It's, I don't use it. I'm, I'm cautious. I don't use it all the time. I use it eh, for certain drills. I use it at certain times. I use it with certain dogs that it really, when I need to get something a little more out of them, that tennis ball is a pretty big reward for some of them. I, I like a fresh tennis ball, not not um, one that, you know, as we use them, they kind of get matted down and that, that fur kind of gets worn off. And so I like a fresher ball. It's got a lot of, it's almost like a sponge. I'll take that liquid scent that we have and I'll put it on the tennis ball. And I do little, little hunt commands for dogs to hold an area. I like a dog to be able to hold an area for multiple reasons. So I might use a little bit of cover and some scented tennis balls for that. I take tennis balls and I'll put, take a tennis racket and I'll, you know, I've used chuckets. I, I like tennis rackets. Um, put that scent on the tennis ball, and I'll smack that tennis ball, and I'll skip it across the ground. And you'll actually see the little mist that's left with it. Well, yeah. it's a, that's a really nice little scent trail for them. And so I'll put that antler scent on the tennis ball and associate some real positive stuff with the idea of it. I Again, I think dogs... I think dogs like to work. I think, I, I think they look at work differently than we do. We don't think of... I don't think we think of work the same. You know, you hear people talking about working their dogs, like it's playing their dogs, but it's something they really enjoy doing. And so for me to work the dogs, I want it to be fun. Um, that's where I get that extra kind of oomph out of that with the tennis ball. With the training dummy, I use the training dummy a lot. It's really convenient. It's easy to carry around. Um, it's not sharp and poking like an antler in my pocket, in, in my training bag. But it also floats. So it's made out of a material that will allow them to pick it up and feel pretty good in the soft mouth of a dog. Like most the dogs that I'm working with have been bred pretty well and they have pretty natural soft mouths. Like they're, they're, I, don't, I don't run into a lot of chomping. 
Um, I think it's combination of genetics and cultural. Like it, I don't, I don't encourage it. I don't allow it. I do not play tug of war with any of my dogs. I don't encourage dogs to chomp. I don't want dogs getting hard on anything because again, I'm using these shed dogs, same dog I'm going bird hunting with, and I don't want damaged game. So I encourage that soft mouth and delivery. I use this training dummy because of that. I don't have dogs blink on it. I don't have dogs run up to a hard horn and go, oof, that, that, that doesn't equate. Like my mouth is not made for that kind of thing. I have dogs that I have to encourage to pick those up eventually. And what I do is I like to build their confidence. Uh, the best way to pick, have a, a dog pick up a live bird is not to start out with a live bird. Like, I don't want that thing flapping. I don't want that thing soft. I don't want that thing slippery. I don't want, I, you know, I, I like to start out with my dogs to pick birds. Before they pick in birds, they're picking a frozen bird. They're picking a bird that not frozen so hard that it's uncomfortable in their mouth, not frozen so much that there's ice on it. I like to let it get a little bit thawed off and wipe that, wipe that off so it's dry. I don't want it wet. I don't want feathers coming off of it. So I want those dogs to be confident with it. Because I can't tell you how many people have come to my house and said, I can't get my dog to pick a bird. And if they do pick it, they tear it apart. Or they pick it and they run off with it. Or they chomp on it. Or they, they just they have all sorts of issues when it comes to these birds. So we go to the freezer and I pull out a bird and I take a towel and I wipe it down. And I go over and I put it in the dog's mouth. And they go, what are you doing? I'm going to get your dog to understand to take a bird in its mouth. I want him to, I, I want this to be a pretty good thing. Oh, I've been just throwing it. I, I took a fresh bird and I threw it for him and I expected them to just go do it. Well, why wouldn't they? They're bird dogs. They, you know, but it doesn't always work that way. So some dogs will do it, some won't. So when the ones that won't, I back up and I go, well, hell, I don't, I'm not, I don't need you to go pick it up. I just want you to feel it in your mouth first so that when you do go to pick it up, you do run over to it and smell it, you realize it ain't that bad when I put it in my mouth. Some dogs just can't get over that hump. So... I do the same thing with this antler, you know, like I turn this into a little game. This little soft shaped antler turns into a pretty fun thing that when I take it out of my pouch, it's not, oh no, here comes that thing that hurts my, you know, that I don't like. It's, oh yeah, cool. This is going to be a lot of fun. What should we do, dad? You know, and then it comes back to this idea of, I like to maintain focus on young dogs. I, I, that's where the obedience right away comes in. So get them back under control and play. I, I want this to be a game. I want it to be fun. I want it to be something that we do short and sweet and leave them wanting more. So my bag is yeah. pretty simple. Training dummies, tennis balls, a little bit of scent. Not much more than that. Too, too easy. You, you mentioned again, you know, you've, you've mentioned it a few times this episode, is you bird hunt the same dogs that you shed hunt with. Mm -hmm. And just in my head, you know, I have a very clean routine on starting a dog on it on to hunt you know there, there's obvious visuals they they know what's going on they know that i'm an orange they know i'm carrying a shotgun they understand that but i still do the same sequence every time just to get their mind right just say hey we're hunting and so i'm curious is do you do anything different to start the quote-unquote hunt with your dogs when they're shed hunting as opposed to bird hunting no i don't do anything different let's go i mean we get i bring them out yep. let's go and now we go to quarter and so what I do, what, one thing I will do different when I'm shed hunting, and that's a great, great question, and I'm glad you brought it up because I probably would have forgot. But one of the things I will do is, especially with a young dog, and, it, and this is a big thing that comes up with shed dogs, is you think about developing a bird dog. 
I can be a member at some game farm, and I could have I could have a pheasant dog on a hundred pheasants a day if I wanted to. I mean, yeah. I could do put and take, and I could do hunt scratch birds, and I could I could get a dog a lot of opportunities once their training is in place, and they're to the point where I need to give them experience. I can develop a bird dog pretty easily in areas with even if I don't have wild birds, I could put them on some game farm birds. Now, I don't. I'm not a pen raised bird guy. I the pheasants that I raise, I don't keep any of them. I let them all go, and because I all I want, like I put five, I'll put I'll raise 500 pheasants chicks, and I'll let them all go this year on my property and my neighbor. I mean, they they don't stay on my property. They're all over in this area for a, a very short window before they get picked off by predators. But I I do it a hundred percent for the dogs, and so I raise these birds and I let them go, and I'll see a trickling down of those birds over i'll see them as late as into december ish but they move away because there's no a lot of them get taken out but the ones that make it because i know some birds come back in the spring i start seeing i start hearing roosters cackling in the spring we don't have birds around here so i know there's some of my birds but they go where the food is or wherever it is they're surviving through the winter but i release 500 with the hopes of maybe a dozen of them being around with some type of consistency that my dogs can bump into them as we're working through. So I want them to be very wild birds. Like I don't, I don't, I had a dog I just got done working with for a client, had her for a year. We did a YouTube series on her and I wrote an article for Gundog on her and we took her and got her to flushing. And so she came, she came, long story about her, but we ended up, I couldn't get her to hunt I couldn't get her to hunt on pen raised birds. She didn't have an interest in them. She, if they weren't moving from her, which they weren't, they're smart. I mean, the, the pen raised bird is dumb and doesn't really think, <laughs> doesn't think much of a predator. So yeah. that dog wouldn't flush, wouldn't, wouldn't, just wasn't interested in those pen raised birds. Now I took her, I got, I finally, we finally got, made some headway with her. And then I took her up mid September, which is when our grouse season starts. And I grouse hunted with her for up and through November. And she just really blossomed, you know, as a, as a grouse and woodcock dog. And, but it was wild birds that did it for her. And, and her foundation was fantastic. Um, she's just the sweetest little dog. She's a great dog, wonderful dog. But it took, pen raised birds weren't going to turn her into a bird dog. So I think you can give dogs experience pretty easily with birds sheds i don't know a lot of guys that find 100 sheds a year i don't know a lot of guys that find 100 sheds in their lifetime i know some people will find a three or four a season and that's a really good year for them so i look at that and i go the opportunity to develop that shed dog is a fraction of what a bird dog is and so the reality is is you don't get a good bird dog by having them flush three birds a year like you can't, you can't, they can't turn into good flushing dogs, flushing three dogs, three birds a year. So you need to give them opportunities. So you have to have realistic expectations as a shed dog trainer and a hunter. And you have to realize like it's a real test of patience. I get a lot of people that find a handful of antlers and their dog runs over them the first season. And they get so damn mad at that dog that they pick that antler up and storm off like a little kid. 
just pissed off at their dog that didn't find it. And I go, man, you really blew that because there was your opportunity to get an actual antler to click. My first, Ellie, she's the dog, she's my mama dog in the back with the, with the pups right now. Her first shed dog, I was live on Facebook. First time shed hunting. Her first shed that she found, I went live on Facebook for it. And I was all, I saw the antler first. I knew it was there. And I was going to show, you know, like she's going to, she tripped on it. She literally stepped on it at least once. She ran over it three or four times. And I'm holding her in the area on a hunt command. And I'm holding her and holding her and holding her. She's looking and looking and looking. And she's a really nice dog, well-trained dog. And all of a sudden, Boom, she actually saw it, picked it up, brought it back to me, wagged her tail. I was so embarrassed because I'm like, God, that was awful. She, that was awful. But you know what? It was one of the most powerful things and valuable things that people watching could see because they went, that's exactly what my dog did. And let me tell you, she's a really good dog. It just took, that was her first chance. That was her first chance to pick one up. It took a while. So we have to, we have to realize that it takes time and it takes repetition. You can't, you can't expect your dog to know everything if you don't give it opportunities to do it. And that's, that's sometimes, um, that's sometimes a, a real test uh, uh, for us as trainers and, and, and dog owners. And um, that's why I like training dogs so much because it really makes us better people. Like we become more patient out of necessity um, if you want to be good, like if you're not, if you're short tempered and you can't accept that the 99% of the time when the dog does something wrong, it's because you did something wrong. Like I, when my dogs make mistakes, I don't, God damn you dog. I go, you idiot, Jeremy, what did you do? Because that's what created the problem always. But you have to, you have to be, you have to be okay saying that you gotta be, you gotta be okay to say, you know what? I screwed up this many times in this session, but how, but then how do you get better next time? You know, every chance the dog, every time the dog makes a mistake, I think it's an opportunity for them to learn, but probably a bigger one for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Walk us through, we can start wrapping this up here in a second, but first I want to hear some, uh, some actual drills. You know, walk walk us through from your very basic. You just mentioned your your tennis ball and tennis racket. Is that what we're starting with? And then, then what are we do, doing from there? Are we going out and hiding them out in the bushes and the shrubs? And, you know, and some briars to where we typically might find some antlers. Kind of walk me through some drills that we can work in our backyard with our dogs and, yeah. and hopefully develop this. So I always start out with the basics of you know I start in the hallway. You know, it, it, with everything I do. So, like, I'm going to use the training dummy in a really controlled environment. I'm going to put it in a... I'm not going to put take a new thing and take it outside and have it be a world of distraction with it. With a, a, So, I'm talking more with a young dog. With a young dog, I'm going to use that training dummy, get it comfortable in a comfortable spot. So, my hallway is a really good place for me to do that. From there, I can... As long as I have control and I've got a nice delivery with the dog, I'll go outside with it. I'll do the exact same drill. You know, I can set it up as memories or I can set them up as marks. I can do, I'll do a combination of all of them. But I want the dog real comfortable with the idea of there's something that's worth retrieving. And I want it to be real controlled and structured because I want to have, I want to eliminate opportunities for things to go amiss. So if I got a nice, if I got a dog that's delivering well, I'm going to do some memories. I'll do memories through cover. I'll do memories through barriers. I'll get the dog just 
like he can't help but see one of these things and recognize I'm running out there to find it. There it is, pick it up, bring it back. At the same time, I think you can develop the nose part of it in different drills. I don't typically, so I like to develop the visual as one cue and I like to do the scent thing, scent discrimination as a second. I don't combine them oftentimes. Like towards the very, you know, when my dogs are older and more, you know, they're, it's more like we're practicing, not training. Then I'll work in where we might have some visual and some scent work crossed into the same drill. But I, even with my gun dogs, I don't typically combine the two. I'm doing, we're going to do nose work and we're going to focus on building this skill or trait. We're going to do some marking work or we're going to do some visual work. We're going to focus on setting the drill up for that. So I like a bright white dummy for color contrast. I'll put it in short grass. It stands out like a sore thumb. Dog runs to it, picks it without hesitation, brings it back, delivers. So we're getting this idea of there's the antler. Pick it up, bring it back. Good. The tennis ball, I like that scented tennis ball in a little bit of cover. I like I like taking drills, and it's a, it's a hunt command, but I'll take my lawnmower, and I'll make pockets. I'll create pockets of cover. So in, when I say cover, a lot of times people think right away we need, like, waist-high set-aside grass. Yeah, get it, get it taller than the tennis ball, right? So I'm gonna, so I, but I'll start out with something simple like that. I'll work dogs in that cover. I like to get dogs to hold the cover. So some of my drills, the tennis balls are already in there, and I'm sending the dog in to hunt. Some of the dogs, I'm stopping the dog in there to start out with, having them face me, and I, I hunt my dogs to the whistle a bit. So I'll go from the whistle, and I'll start giving them my cadence, and I want the dog to hold the area, hold the area, hold the area. Sometimes the tennis balls aren't in there. So I hope put the dog into the cover. They know this game. They've already seen it. I, yesterday we picked up three tennis balls in there. So they go into that area and they start hunting. And then real quickly they go, they're not here. So no, they're there. They're there. So I give them that command. Hunt, hunt, hunt. Hold the area. Hold the area. Hold the area. About the time they're going to quit, I slip a tennis ball in. And they go, oh, my God, there it is. And they go, oh, he knew again, you know. And they, all of a sudden, this renewed trust in me is built. So I, I want them to, I want to push that at times. Because when I tell a dog to hunt an area, I want them to stay in the area and hold it. So I think if we, you know, we, we that's a very simple drill that I use. Every, everybody uses a hunt command of some sort. Hell, starting out with that, I don't even use tennis balls. I use kibble. You know, I got this little puppy right here. Uh, this little setter pup so i'll go out <laughs> now i can't do it because we've got snow but i could take i can do it in the snow i can take snow and i can shovel a circle around and create this this area that has more snow in it so there's a clear barrier between short snow and tall snow and i'll take a handful of kibble i'll just throw the kibble in that snow and then i'll let the dog use her nose and i'm not I don't, right now, I don't say anything to her. I just let her find it with her nose. Let her find it with her nose. Let her find it with her nose. Then I can start to overlay that with some commands. I can give her a, a dead or a lost or whatever I want to use for a, for a hunt command. I can build the cadence of the whistle into it later. But So those are important. I like, you know, we don't have the option right now either, but in the summertime, I struggle with the heat. You know, like, where, you, where are you located? I'm in Middle Tennessee. Okay, so you got way more heat than I do. Like we, we I think it's hot out, and I mean it's not that hot out. But but it's when the it, reverse of the cold, <laughs> we don't get cold down here. Right. But like according to y'all, anyway. Right. So relative, when it gets hot up here, and what I call humid, which would be insulting to you guys, but I <laughs> what I call hot and humid up here, I struggle with some of my dogs working them. I can't work them past 
real early in the morning. And so, but I can, our water stays pretty cool. So I can, I can get away with water work a little bit later. And so I like a lot of water work. Well, with a shed dog, my, I use the training dummy in the water because it floats. So I'll pitch that out and I'll go, and, this, and my dogs love the water. So if you've got a breed that really likes water, you can start associating more positive, another positive thing to the idea of, oh my God, that, there's that thing again. And so they're swimming out, picking that shape. So I'm going to do that seasonally, you know, as, as it goes. The quartering, quartering to me is, it's very, it's very much a connection thing. So like I need a dog to work within a range and I think that it's very important to have, you know, I'm finding that the setter, well, where I got this dog from, Northwoods Bird Dogs, they, they're, they're pointing dog trainers. And so they talk about handling. And what I'm, as a retriever guy, I know what handling is to me. It's very different from what they call handling. Their handling is what I call connection, feel, and trust. And I, we both think it's very important, but it's just defined differently. But like, I want dogs checking in with me. I want to get dogs' eyes. I want dogs moving with me. So I'll set up, again, fields and I'll mow strips or hell, you can find these types of scenarios too. But I want to, I want to move with the young dog and I want the dog moving with me. And when the dog hits, a, hits the edge, whether it be a mowed strip or a fence or whatever it is, before they get to it, as they're moving with me, I'm gonna peep my whistle. I'm gonna get their attention. But before I peep the whistle, and I just do a double peep. I go peep, peep. And that gets them their eyes. Well, before I do that, I'm turned and I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going like a 45 away from them. So when I peep, peep, they turn to look at me and they go, oh, no, he's going that way. Uh, now they're going with me. They get going. They get a little confidence. They get a little cadence going. I turn, peep, peep. They turn around. They go, oh, he's going the other way. Now, all of a sudden, you get this dog to start moving with me. And I just, my angle itself can be less and less as the dog starts to get the understanding of what this rhythm is. So, you know, I'm again, a, f a flushing dog, I'm gonna do the same thing with them. So I, I'm working all these little parts and pieces and developing these little skills and then slowly starting to piece stuff together. Yeah, it, it's so similar in a lot of ways to a lot of the drills I do, especially, you know, the duck search still comes to mind just because it's an sure. independent search, yeah. right? And, you know, and ultimately that's what we're talking about is developing a dog. They can do an independent search, but along with you and, mm -hmm. and with some cooperation. Uh, so much that, like in the field session that you're talking about, where you don't want eyesight, you want the dog to really use its nose. Go do it at night. Sure. Go in a field and go go stash some stuff out in the field and search. And a lot of people get a little uneasy about maybe not being able to see their dog in the field or whatever. Uh, you know, these e-collars that we have, all the Garmin collars, you can turn the light on on the collar and then that way you can you can feel a little bit better about it. But that really kind of gets the dog to focus in on their nose. I do have a question for you when you get to the point of you're going and, and planting some sheds out there and you're trying to get the dog to hunt for it. Do you give it a certain amount of time to pass before your foot scent leaves? Like, you know, yeah. there's a... We just don't want the dog tracking us sure. to the object, right? Sure. And people so how get, do you go about setting that up? Yeah, people get really nervous about that. And I look at it and I go, guys, think about this. So I've heard people say, well, you got to put gloves on. And I go, okay, latex gloves. <laughs> First off, I can smell a latex glove. So everything we touch, yeah. I know my dog smells it too. There's a, well, how come we don't wear latex gloves when we train pheasant dogs? Why don't we not touch the birds with, why do we not wear gloves when we're touching the birds so that we don't put our scent on them? Because we certainly are. We're putting our scent on them as well. 
because yeah. we don't because people don't realize and think about how dogs' noses actually work, and I think it's a little disrespectful to them, to be honest with you. I I look at it and I go, if you're concerned with because like you think you hear about the game farm, you know the game farm dog that tracks the tracks to where the guy planted the bird, and they literally do that. I mean, they get very smart to it. Because what happens? Yes. So we so that's what I think stirs a lot of these concerns with people when it comes to well, you know, what about this w- with shed training? What about that? So like people talk about you know they follow your tracks to it where you go plant the shed. They they think that I think people think that because that's what they saw the dog do at the game farm. It ran to where the guys like when there's snow on the ground, you can see where the guy walked and the dog tracks the guy to it and he flushes it. Well, the guy at the game farm has to take the bird, dizzy it, and set it down into the cover. It's right where he stopped walking and then he turned and walked away from it. I walk out to where I'm going to be and I can throw it 35, 40 yards from wherever I am in another direction and move it away. So I don't care if they follow my tracks, they don't get anything. Like there's nothing for them at the end of my tracks. So they have to get this idea of I have to move and quarter. And if I get them understanding that that's a pattern that we work, then they become a sweeper for me is all. So what does that do? What does that tell me when I'm shed hunting? If you shed hunt, this is the problem why some people don't find antlers with their dogs and they go, because my dog doesn't know what it's doing. I look at it this way. If you take your sweeper and he sweeps 25 yards to each direction for you, and you walk him through an, a section of woods that doesn't have any antlers, you're not finding any antlers, no matter how good the dog is. I think a lot of people think that a good shed dog finds antlers no matter what. If there aren't any antlers there, you don't find sheds. So we have the sweeper. Well, we are controlling where the sweeper sweeps. You better put the sweeper in the right spots. So you have, like I become a better shed hunter because of the dogs, because I went more often, because I found more sheds, and every shed I found, I learned this is the kind of stuff I need to be in. I need this type of, of cover. I need this type of food sources. I need this type of area. I need all these things in order for the antlers to be there. And then I take the sweeper through and he helps me find them. So I think that we don't, like if, you, if you've got a good bird dog, and you take it to an area with no birds, like literally there are no birds there, your dog won't find any, no matter how good the bird dog is. And people always know that and they recognize that. It's the same with the shed dog. So I do think that we have to realize that that is a, you know, when we're training, if you think you're gonna fool your dog's nose with rubber gloves and that's what's gonna create them to be a shed dog, I think you've got, I think you're, your ideas of training are, are probably a little bit off. Like I look at it, I don't care if my scent is on it. And the reason I don't care if my scent is on it is because as long as the antler itself has scent, which real antlers do and my training dummies do when I add scent to it, that layer of scent, all those layers of scent, the dog's picking up on all of them. So once I start taking a few of those layers off in the wild, there's still the real ones there that are going to be associated with. I should go look at that. And if I look at that and it looks like one of those things, I should pick that up. And if I pick that up, he gets real excited when I bring it back to him. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I try not to overthink that stuff. I don't leave them out for days because I go, it doesn't matter. I, I, I want the dog to hunt, pick, hunt, pick, hunt, pick. Bring him back to me. It sounds like, I mean, getting a better feeling for, for you and, and your outlook on training dogs, you really should just rename your Dog Mountain Podcast over 
to just keep it simple. Yeah. It sounds it's, like that's really all you do. You don't overthink anything. You just keep it simple. I think it's easier that way. And, and you know, one of the things I, I skipped over and I, you brought it up, what do you bring shed hunting? Here's the one thing I would do, I would say, because because you don't find so many. You, most guys don't find lots. Put a little shed. I put a little shed in my back pocket. And so as I, especially with a young dog, especially on their first season, if I go for, you know, and I change the way I hunt, I don't go for four, five, six hour walks with young dogs and expect them to be able to maintain that. It's just too hard. It's too hard. I couldn't take my little kids on those walks. I can't take the young dog on it. So you, I do, I do actually look at like when I'm going to shed hunt a farm and figure out where am I going to walk, how am I going to walk it. I'll park the truck in spots where I know I can get back and I know I can give the dog a drink and I know the dog can get put in the crate for a little bit and kind of regroup and regain its thoughts. I put the antler in the back pocket and every 15, 20 minutes, if I need to, I'll drop the antler and circle back around and let the dog find it just to keep them engaged. Cause I see like their, their interest level and their enthusiasm skyrocket when they get a little victory, when they get a little win. I think we got to look at this and realize we, it's our job to tee them up. Like we gotta have them be successful if we want them to stick with it and want to do it and become, put the amount of time into it before it becomes something they're good at. Like it needs to be a skill that's honed and I, I, you know, you can drop an antler 50 yards from the truck on your way out and then end it on a good note. Find that antler right when you get, now don't forget it, but when you get back, find that antler and let the dog end it on a really positive note. Let it be a big win. Simple yep. stuff like that. No, I love it. Tip, tips like that. I mean, that's, I was going to ask something like that if you did that, but uh, Jeremy, I appreciate you coming on. We won't hog in any more of your time. Go ahead and plug all your stuff, where they can find your podcast, where they can find your training equipment. Sure. Uh, sign up for any of your courses and everything that you have coming up. Yeah. All of our stuff is, and I got some guests that just came in. My little ones came in. Uh, all of all of our stuff is Dogbone Hunter. So dogbonehunter.com is our website. All of our social media stuff is, is at Dogbone Hunter. Um, our podcast is the Dogbone Podcast, P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T. Probably we thought it was clever and it probably was a really foolish mistake. But, uh, but no, if you search Dogbone, you'll find it. Um, but it's real. It, it, we really try to use those platforms to, sh- to, again, share as much information as possible. So that's, that's probably the easiest way to get any of them. Yeah. No, absolutely. If you're listening to this, go check it out. Uh, I like your podcast because it's kind of short and sweet. It's not it's not an overly lengthy podcast, uh, but you cover a wide range of topics. You know, you totally. can be talking about shed dogs one one week, and the next week you're talking fundamentals, uh, listener Q and A's, and stuff like that. A lot I know of you that. Yep. Cover, yeah, you, you you do a lot of that. So. Check them out. Uh, Jeremy, again, thanks for coming on, sharing some of your uh, thoughts and wisdom. And overall, if you're listening to this and you want something to take away from, keep it simple. I I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.